0: I'm sorry. You can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much
3: as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh!
0: I th- Tame and tame and tame again. Break up the music! Charge
3: a glass! This nation is going to dance all
2: night! Can you head a team behind? The shortest bright star ever made to a football match. A grim fictional fate for a mid-2000s Manchester United workhorse. Potential uses for the phrase at this level in wider society, which is the most cited of the five senses in football commentary. Can you capitalise on a result that happens after you've played? Well-worked saves. The Stones throw stadium threshold. Diego Simeone self-depletion. And Richard Keyes on socks. Brought to your ears by Goalhanger Podcasts. This is Football Clichés. Hello everyone, welcome to Football Clichés, I'm Adam Hurry, this is the Adjudication Panel and your panellists are Charlie Eccleshare, appearance number 200 for you.
1: How does it feel? Feels good, yeah. The the 199 was a surprise when you uh, mentioned that last week. But yeah, it's great to be here. Who so would have no, thought?
2: None of the lads in the dressing room needed to tell you about this one then.
1: No, I would have known it wasn't a wind-up, so I guess there's no point for them.
2: We've got some bread and butter, egg and milk content for you. To celebrate your two hundredth appearance alongside you, of course, David Walker. How are things? I'm
3: good. Yeah, things
2: are good. Do you know what my number is? I looked it up a minute ago. It was one six two, I think. Okay.
3: Yeah, a little bit of a way to go before I join that exclusive club. Yeah, exactly.
2: Exclusive club, indeed. Yeah. N- uh, closing in on our three hundredth episode, all told, spanning the eras. So I've missed the third. Missed the third of the episodes. That is a it's... surprise, actually,
1: isn't it? Yeah. I mean, given that even on paternity leave I still did it, I don't know where that third would have come from. It took you a while to really nail your place down, I think. I don't
0: know.
1: There was, although the very early days... I'd say it came not the very early days. like The early days, I'd say, pretty consistent. Then there was maybe a bit of chopping and changing. We had very specialist episodes, and maybe I just didn't deem you worthy of it, but more for me. Some of them. Yeah, some of them I missed out on. Fair enough.
3: Could have gone to make a thousand appearances
2: if you had not been for injury. Um, right, the tour starts next week. As well. I'm just going to repeat the message I said the other day. There are loads of people hoping to pick up spare tickets for London, Manchester, Leeds and Glasgow. So DM me on Twitter if you've got any to get rid of uh, because you're going to watch Leeds instead of going to the show or going to watch Rangers or Celtic instead of going to the show, etc. I'll find those tickets at home very, very quickly. Honestly, Dave, the deals I'm brokering at the moment.
3: What a service I'm doing. I'm going, I am going above and beyond. Not You're not going above and beyond face value, though, are you?
2: I, I hope. No, I'm not taking a commission. <laughs> any of it. I, I'm hoping that some honesty. De- all I go as far as is supplying email addresses to people who need them. Um, that's where I step out of the process.
3: I will say as well, it's worth a look on Twicket's. Because I've got an alert set up for that, and there there are some that are sporadically popping up in various locations. So have a look there too. Yeah, the, uh, the waiting list for Glasgow is astonishing, really.
2: Should be on two nights, but uh, you've yeah, got to draw the line somewhere. Right, let's adjudication panel. Kicking off with this from James Beer. Who was listening to Spurs versus Wolves on Talk Sport? And he says, I've listened to 95% of Charlie Eccleshire's 199 appearances, but I don't think this has been covered.
3: Pedro Neto showing rapid speed. He sprinted half of the length of the pitch before getting the better of Emerson Royale in the penalty area. Cut the ball back for João Gomez, who had earlier headed Tottenham behind at the end of the first half. He rifled in his second of the
2: afternoon. It feels fine, Charlie. It sounds fine. But, yeah, <laughs> heading someone behind just seems really odd to me.
1: Yeah, I don't think I've ever heard that. It's all, yeah, always he headed them in front. He's not done it for Tottenham. But he's done it to them. But, Dave, are you not surprised it's more not more prevalent?
2: It seems like a perfectly natural thing. I just, you never, ever hear it. He's headed them behind. It should work should
1: be a really classic way of saying I know it. what Dave means though, because it's an active thing it does sound weird like yeah or he's headed them into an early lead you wouldn't say he's headed them into an early setback or he's headed them into an early deficit
3: it shouldn't be the most notable thing I, I you know obviously it is like the kind of narrative of the game I suppose is that you know it's a, it's a surprising result maybe and Tottenham may expect to be winning the game so that's kind of what he's editorializing there which is fair enough okay but but it's it's just it's a slightly weird way of doing it. Uh, could you do it for own goals? <laughs> Is that the best of both worlds?
2: Inadvertently steered Tottenham behind. Oh,
1: that he, would be great. Actually, that I really like that, Charlie. Yeah, you know, he gifted them an early lead or something like that. Even taking away the heading, would you say he'd... Obviously, you know, you'd say he put Wolves ahead.
3: Would you say he put Spurs behind? <laughs> I don't know, but I, I I'm like not sure it. you would. If Christian Romero had headed in a corner to his own net he would very literally have been heading Tottenham behind he, he would it's him he's doing it for Tottenham in a Tottenham shirt but then I think it's behind. an excellent
2: I think it's an excellent option that we should start pursuing as a collective body of football observers I think it's great football really people like it. yeah um, Charlie did beg Another question, though, which was um, which nine point nine five episodes of yours has James Beard not listened to? Both of your cliches quiz defeats, I assume, out of loyalty.
1: Uh, yes, I hope so. Yeah, a cheap that, shot, but yeah.
2: Yeah, maybe that one where we watched Premier League years ninety eight, ninety
1: nine in its entirety. Probably skipped that one too, didn't he? Still good, isn't that the only two hander that's uh, that we've ever done?
2: That's a good show, actually. Yeah, I think, I think it think might so. be. I'll check the spreadsheet later on. Yeah, good knowledge. Right, um, next one came from Chris Schwab. This is Stephen Warnock on 5 Live waxing lyrical about Bernardo Silva in the Champions League last week.
3: Uh, ball deflecting back into the Copenhagen box but the finish was... Uh, was- Terrific finish of an artist, wasn't it, from Bernardo Silva? Yeah, it was.
2: Just class, isn't he? I love watching Bernardo Silva. He's arguably one of my favourite players in the in the Premier League. And obviously, when you watch him in the Champions League, he understands when he's needed. Arguably one of my favourite players in the Premier League. Chris Schwab asks Dave, who the hell is he arguing with?
3: Just driving back from the games, just killing some time on his own in the car.
2: He's in the top five. He's not in the top five.
3: (laughs) No way. No
2: chance. Um, But, I mean, an an acceptable kind of ripple in the footballing language, Charlie, but it's a classic example of the non-committal language when it comes to sort of declaring the quality of certain
1: players. I mean, I know what he means, that you do have inner, sort of those inner discussions with his other, don't Like, is he top five? I don't know. Is he one of the best? He might be, but then there's this player. Whispering it
2: quietly to himself. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, dear. Um, a, a, a tiny thing, but um, I enjoyed it. Thanks, Chris Schwab. Next came from last one to arrive, who was enjoying Conor Gallagher's post-match interview after Chelsea's one-one draw at Man City on Saturday. Dave and uh, Patrick Davison taking matters into his own hands here as he asked Conor Gallagher whether he had mixed emotions after the result.
3: Yeah, no, you're right. I think slightly disappointed, but bit of both. Yeah, a bit of both. Yeah, because obviously we're winning the game. Um, obviously they were. You know, in terms of possession uh, they, they were dominating the game but I felt like we had a lot of chances <laughs>
2: <laughs> Not your job Patrick Davis. <laughs> so that's a dangerous precedent there I mean you see it set up all the time Charlie I mean, they're, they're so often tap-ins but um, don't do the tap-in yourself
1: that's an own goal That's what I mean it's like that's going to come anyway you don't need to force <laughs> that Yeah <laughs> No-one's ever not said better,
2: buddy. <laughs> No-one's ever passed up the opportunity. Absolutely. OK, the next one came from John Hissett, who's listening to Five Live. Uh, Manchester United taking the lead very early doors against Luton, Danny Gabadon on COCOMs. They
3: won't come any easier than that. They certainly won't, Alistair. You presented a
0: gift, Rasmus Holder, the man in form, and you never dated him started the game brightly, Luton, but it's just a a long clearance punted forward and Amari Bell doesn't
2: deal with it. A bright start from Luton after 37 seconds. Now, Charlie, notwithstanding the fact that Luton has something of a reputation for making very, very fast starts to games, Mm. Hoyland scored after 37 seconds. If you shave off the time, basically everything after Casemiro booted the ball upfield, which which cannot count as Luton's start, you're left with 27 seconds. That's the bright start they made, and that consisted of a crossfield pass from Ross Barkley, a cross from the right-hand side that was semi-cleared, <laughs> semi-put back in. Then Casemiro booted away. I'm not having it.
1: We we talked about this, didn't we? Uh, earlier in the season, the the bright start threshold. That must got be to be PB. one of the shortest. Yeah, has to be to concede in the first minute of the game, but be said to have made a bright start. That's some go. I mean, it took it. So maybe it's kind of the micro world in which we live in, where we kind of have to have ev- everything it's a reaction. You know, it feels like a long time ago now since Luton started so brightly. I mean, it was literally a few seconds ago. <laughs>
2: Do you think, Dave, this is just being really charitable to Luton because they were just, you know, they are essentially underdogs in every game they play?
3: There is definitely a bit of that. I mean... God, after every game, it's oh, didn't they, didn't they do so? Rob Edwards must be so proud of his efforts. But I'll put my Luton bias to one side. The um, I didn't know it existed. But fine. <laughs> my anti-Luton bias, I should say, really. But the thing is, I can kind of see why would, Gabiton would go for that because territorially, in a match where it's a small team v big team, small team is in and around the other's penalty area very early. Because that's how the goal came. It was, you know, as you, as you said, a big punt from Casemiro. Yeah, true. So, Essentially
2: a counter-attack,
3: really. It kind of does sort of work. Proportionally,
2: they had a brighter... Yeah, they started the first minute quite brightly. <laughs> they dominate the first 27
1: seconds. Absolutely. Um, okay, interesting. But it does kind of beg the question of what wouldn't have made a good start. I mean, yeah, I guess if you know United had had all the possession and stuff. But that is a very low bar and I'm sure is massively informed. And, and understandably, I, I'm sure Gabberton was like, caught up with the atmosphere it would have been a great noise and all of that but i think it's more that necessarily than they've actually started the game playing especially well
2: i do forgive it to some extent because there are certain passages of play that you wouldn't expect to see in the first 20 seconds of a game and ross barkley having loads of space in the middle of the pitch and just delicately sort of floating a crossfield pass out to the right wing is probably one of those things that's a really odd thing to see
1: after what was probably about 15 seconds you just don't see it very often so did Luton have kickoff yes you mean they did yeah so I would suggest there would be very few games in which there wouldn't they wouldn't meet this threshold given they're probably gonna they're gonna kick off they're gonna keep the ball they're probably within that first stage of possession try a longish ball that's gonna challenge the opposition just doing that is gonna get the crowd up that will be enough almost to make you feel like it's been a good start because you've heard a big roar a couple of times yeah, one in ball the, in into the, the box, previous third seconds.
2: yeah 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 maybe that, so, is, the, that is the threshold for
1: a sub minute bright start yeah, I don't think there'll be many where they've had kickoff at home and they you wouldn't say they've made a start as good as that one
2: right a trio of football names in things Um, I, I'm, I'm drawing the line in the sand by the way no more songs I can't handle them anymore I can't handle people sending me Eddie Howe's name in songs I've heard IU you for are you None of that. It's all become very, very tenuous. So let's stick to football names appearing in TV and radio deliberately or otherwise. Scripted or non-scripted, I don't mind. Right, first one came from Ewan, who is listening to the Today programme on Radio 4. A story about methane in Kazakhstan. Analysis shared with the BBC indicates one of the worst leaks of methane ever recorded took place in Kazakhstan last year. The blowout happened at a remote gas exploration well near the Caspian Sea and, according to the research, lasted for six months. Methane is one of the main contributors to global warming. The company involved said only a negligible amount of the gas was released Here's Marco
3: Silva of BBC Verify
2: <laughs> <laughs> Marco Silva famously not very forthcoming Dave So he'd be, he'd be rubbish correspondent on this sort of thing
3: Yeah well, I mean but you know English is very good quite well spoken So I'm sure he'd fit in well on the Today programme actually I think he'd do, a, he'd do a good job I found myself listening to that like I was playing For My Sins Corner <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Trying, to, yeah, trying to second guess who it was going to be
1: what a master level. Marco Silva, Marco Silva was a great one. was not expecting that. I was
2: going to say, I wondered who you thought it would be. I think Marco Silva very much came out of the blue.
1: I meant to say actually, I had uh, our, uh, I don't know what we'd call them, but also of this parish, the rest is history. I was listening to a series, very good series about 1974 turbulence in British politics and this is a real person it's called Len Murray who is General Secretary of the TUC and every time Len Murray was mentioned I was just imagining that this was Glenn Murray who they were talking about and here he was popping up in the mid 70s just putting himself about I really enjoyed it well he's very prominent now
2: Glenn Murray so you you never know second one comes from Jay Martin Criminal Minds Season 14 Episode 7
0: as you all know, this is the third machete attack in the streets of Washington, D.C. in the last hour. We've been asked to form a joint task force with the Washington field office. They need a profile. It's our job to get it to them. What do we know so far? There are three victims, Charles O'Neill, Carrie Carlson and Park Ji Sung. <laughs> 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 Come
2: on, be more imaginative. <laughs> it's good for us.
1: Again, wasn't expecting that.
2: (laughs) You've got to use a less famous
1: South Korean. That's ridiculous.
2: Is it
3: a
1: very common name in in South
2: Korea, though? It certainly is. Yeah. Park certainly is. But um, I feel like you've got to mix it up more than that. Um, You're only going to alert people like us, and it will ruin the programme for them, so... (laughs) Right, Fulham though, on the back of Marco Silva, been alerted to a couple of things in Silent Witness. We remember Martin Piler uh, the (laughs) other day, but um, in one episode... Uh, there was an electrician's van emblazoned with Robinson Sparks on the side. No, no, no alarm bells ringing just there. And then, um, and then this little quickfire brace popped up. Thank you. Have you uh, got a
3: list of the members of the panel? Uh,
0: yes. Elizabeth Newport is the chair.
3: Oh, young Lizzie. Sweet, but ineffectual. Oh, Harrison Kearney. You know about this guy.
0: We
2: hazarded a guess that he was also Albanian and we ran a missing person search. I believe his name is El Said Breuer. So, a tangled web here, Dave. Um, Harrison Kearney strikes me as too much of a coincidence. So a little bit of digging revealed that Silent Witness writer Tim Prager is a passionate Fulham fan. Fulham fan, yeah, right.
3: Harrison Reid and Tom Kearney. Yeah, but then up,
2: up popped Breuer. But this would have been filmed way before he joined Fulham on loan, Prager. Well anticipated.
3: It's funny, that one, though, when I heard Albanian, I did think, is this going to be Breuer? Confirming the pronunciation as well, which we were un- unclear of a few weeks ago. Uh, the man himself says it's Brozier, so no one's clear. But there you go. No one's sticking to it. But yeah, Tim Prager, forecasting
2: Fulham's... I mean, not not the wildest forecast of all time. Amanda Brozier joining Fulham on loan
3: from Chelsea, I have to say, but... You nailed it. These crime shows are just perfect, aren't they? Just so many opportunities to chuck in random names of incidental characters, criminals, committee members department heads it's a complete free hit uh, you can do i know from
1: speaking to people in this sort of world they'll say like you can just do it could be like an old teacher or a family friend or so, you know just a name that you find vaguely amusing but it,
2: yeah exactly but it should be a more of a personal thing it should be a personal touch just chucking in footballers names it's going to take people out of this universe that you're trying to hold them in suspense
1: in surely that's true that's true that could, you might have you know pre-existing prejudices as well might affect how you view the characters <laughs> yeah maybe uh right Moving
2: on, this is from Channel 4 News. Sakir Starmer talking about uh, Labour's victories in the Wellingborough
3: and Kingswood by-elections. Friend of the show, Sakir Starmer, to give him his full title. So I'm very pleased with both of those results. But there is more work to do. There's a long way to go. And as every football fan knows, you don't win the league by a
2: good result in February. So we've got to fight. Like, we're five points behind in the polls. got to earn every vote as we go forward. Uh, Is that a thing that football fans say or think, Charlie?
1: You do hear the, like, you know, the title won't be won today. Mm. It might be lost today. I mean, the the, the thing about thinking that we're five points behind, that's kind of a, it's still nil-nil, lads, which you never hear in a kind of wider context.
2: Yeah, I agree. It did make me think, Dave. Now, I, I'm i glad and relieved that Charlie came up with that alternative of, you know, you don't win a title in December, but you can lose it. When in the season does that most apply? Is it pre-Christmas? Because then that maximises the effect of the phrase, doesn't it? I think so. Because in February,
3: you could win a title in February. It's been done. What's the earliest you could say it? Could you s- say it in August? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> what, if, what, if, what if, like... Uh, I don't know. Man City lost their first five games. Oh, I thought you meant get lost their entire first team squad in a plane crash or something. <laughs>
2: um, no, only then. <laughs> only then. Uh, would be harsh. But yeah. Um, meanwhile, Charlie, uh, one listener saw Labour described in a local newspaper last week as the opposition outfit.
3: Are Labour an outfit? Can a political party be... An outfit. I think they can, but that's not the right way to describe it. The opposition outfit is because that's yeah. not that's not unique would, to them, is it? They happen to be the would, opposition, but exactly, it would be like the centre-left outfit or something like that.
2: I didn't think of the kind of descriptor as a big deal here. I just thought it was it was
1: a slightly desperate second mention. That's all. But how do we feel about outfit? We'll just go with opposition then. If they if they, <laughs> if they need that uh, outfit for that big a political party,
3: mm, not sure. Yeah, this, maybe it would suit you know reform or one of the insurgent parties somewhere a bit better.
2: Uh, sure, I'm going to take issue with this this alleged misuse of opposition. You could say, like, Stanford Bridge outfit, couldn't you? You see that a lot.
1: Does that not sound a bit weird, the Stanford Bridge outfit? You hear it all the time.
3: Yeah, but the opposition is a temporary thing. Despite the length of time they've been in opposition, it's nevertheless it's not a permanent thing, is it? It's not it's not theirs to own for all time. If
2: if anything, it's it's more valid then because it could change hands. Another party could, in theory, become the opposition. So they they're they're the incumbent, and therefore they need the descriptor. Some people might get mixed up.
3: Maybe it's a rare case of where alliteration actually doesn't help either. It just doesn't sound doesn't roll off the tongue very well. I don't think the opposition outfit.
2: Just mad. What a great job Keir Starmer's doing down there, by the way. <laughs> right. Next up, Ben Grundy. More vague football language in wider society. He, he, this was a comment he saw in response to a story about TFL's rebranding of the overground lines. And uh, the comment went as follows. Honestly, we just need reliable public transport seven days a week. Because right now, every weekend is planned engineering work, which is just a joke at this level. LAUGHTER <laughs> You don't hear at this level said very much. (laughs) TfL, presumably, I mean, <laughs> to assess it on its merits, Charlie, TfL and the London Transport Network probably is deserving of that status, is it?
1: Because, well, yeah, I mean, but because it's such a big city, I mean, at what level is that kind of acceptable and accepted? In
3: what more provincial routes well, you kind yeah. of expect that sort of thing? It's not acceptable. It's not acceptable in, the, in other parts of the country where the transport infrastructure is obviously terrible, but you have certainly come to expect it to be so. Mm. Mm. So rightly or wrongly people may not expect that of tfl where could you use it you could use it. i know service in a restaurant service was terrible for a restaurant at this level yeah that is i mean i will
1: sometimes say that in an obviously completely non-serious way like at this level you do expect better in kind of general in general conversation
2: trying to trying to tweak your audience well yeah you have to have to do more than that to trouble a chef of this quality with that (laughs) little, little request right let's end part one with this from Ben Moshi, who is uh, watching the BBC coverage of the Welsh Open snooker. And we're very familiar with football scenarios being transposed into snooker matches. Um, Not sure about this one, though.
1: Going back to that double, it's exactly that kind of shot that you feel O'Donnell needs to to make just to give him a bit of uh, spring in his steps. Almost like when you see a football team struggling and then a player puts in a tough tackle or a little moment of skill, get the crowd going, get themselves going. Lift themselves out of the doldrums.
2: It seems to me, Charlie, that making a pot in snooker, no matter how convoluted, maybe if there was a bit of luck involved, who knows, it's closer to one going in off your backside than getting a tackle in to get the crowd going because I'm not sure if it translates that well to snooker, but maybe it does. Maybe a pot is less than a goal and therefore it should be treated as something slightly
1: lesser. Yeah, but it does feel a bit too much like it carries a benefit. Whereas the point of like the tackle or whatever is that it might not be huge in theory in the context of the game. You know, All it is is a throw in in the middle of the pitch, but the significance of it could be far greater. And maybe some pots are like that, but yeah, I feel like you're getting a bit more from
3: that than you are from from what you actually just get from a tackle well i think it works quite well He mentioned the fact that it was a double so it's a it's a it's not just a straight pot it's not an easy pot he's gone for something and he and he's pulled it off in a moment where he was struggling a bit so i think it kind of it's more than one going in off your backside it's trying something difficult it's like a, a winger beating a man putting a really good cross in getting the crowd up in the overall scheme of things may not change the match the outcome of the match but in that moment it it raises their level but the tone of in which
1: that that thing is said is often is like they they just need a little something you know Mm. whether that's a big tackle or someone to have a go (laughs) (laughs) whereas (laughs) what you're where whereas what you're describing is like that's more they always list the things that it could be as well because the point is that they're really mundane Little thing, almost like the more mundane. You know, it might it might be just having a go at the ref, just you know, getting the crowd going a bit. Like it's really the the mundanity
3: and the nothingness in at face value is almost the key. So it's 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 said, I suppose, more often that this thing needs to happen. This is what they should do. Whereas this guy in the snookers talking about it after the event. So if he, if he'd said it, he's missed a simple pot there. You know what? I think the next time, just maybe go for a double. Just go for go for a plant or something just, just to get him back to his level.
2: It does make me think, though, that you know football is such a fluid sport, Dave, and it's so full of these intangibles that I think they get sort of transposed to other sports quite readily. And uh, there's another example from the darts the other day, and it was a report of Luke Littler winning one of his matches, probably in the Premier League or something. And um, the report said that he dug deep. I mean, I mean, it could. of course it could apply to darts, but I think it's just this kind of assumption that you can just apply any kind of sporting intangible to any sport. And I just... Can you dig deep in darts? Can you? Like... Because it's not an effort thing, is it?
3: But, but no, you, I can you can see how easily it can be applied. You've got to hold your nerve, haven't you? You've got to really sort of... You have to claw someone back in or whatever. I think there is an oh, element of on. having to dig deep.
1: No, I think you... I th- I think digging deep could work. Like if you've lost a really tight leg that you should have yeah. won or something, and you mentally that is to, to pick yourself up, you've really got to dig deep, not to get into like a spiral of disappointment. Uh, I think it works fine in darts. Any any sport where it's like a mental challenge, right. as darts in, I think dig deeps. Okay. Go sure. for it. I imagine it would be used a lot in tennis, Charlie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. you you're often, he's she really got to down. dig deep now. Yeah, yeah. Or, or just he's lost a lost a tight set that he should have won or something like that. I need to know a sport where you can't dig deep. It's like
2: impossible in any context. F1? <laughs> <laughs> I still reckon they would use it. He's got to dig deep for these last 10 laps. <laughs> dig deep to sort of chip away at someone's lead in front of you. That's digging deep. Maybe. I swear to you, it's it's the most universally applied intangible sporting thing. Uh, and everyone just suddenly knows what it means, regardless of whether it works or not. Right. Half time of the education panel. Welcome back to the adjudication panel. Uh, Let's kick the second half off with Paul Brand. Uh, This is one of the lowest key niche observations we've had. But once you hear it, uh, you'll realise what it is. He says, it's not exactly football related. But have you noticed the stutter at the start of Sky Premier League's football music when returning from a break? Here it is. There must be some really boring broadcasting reason for this. It's just one feed switching to another feed or something, but it happens every time. Wow, I've never noticed that before. No. Trust me. It's every time, is it? It's not just every like some, time. Not just an error. Yeah, because obviously they play the same music every time. It is that kind of sort of filler kind of music there. And I now completely associate it with that stutter. So at least me and Paul Brand have noticed it, and that's yeah. the main
3: thing. Is it part of this well bad bit of editing and they just thought, oh fuck it, no one will notice. Just keep it. It's just like <laughs> advertising slots ending. <laughs> And broadcast starting and there's just a bit of a kind of... An overlap or something. Glitch.
2: Yeah. yeah. Remember though in the old days you used to have those black and white things at the top of the screen? Mm, must yeah. be sort of closely related to that sort of thing. One feed stopping and another starting. But uh, yeah, is it overthinking on my part, says Paul Brand? No, says I. It's, uh, it's definitely a thing. Right, next up, Johnny Sharples asks... Jamie Redknapp says Manchester United can now smell the Champions League. Is smell currently the most popular of the five senses in football? For example, sniffing out chances. You can still taste success and be in touching distance, obviously, but smell seems to be on an upward trajectory. And um, there's probably a good reason for this, Charlie. But why that is the king of the footballing senses in this sense—something more evocative of it?
1: Evocative, but also smelling is more vague. So I think like they can't tu- they can't reach out and touch it. Like there is a sort of qualitative difference because that you'll hear about. Like they're so close again, they can reach out and touch it, but United aren't there yet. They're not. A, the season's not that close to finishing, and B, they're not that close to fourth or possibly fifth. And the fact we don't know if it's going to be fourth or fifth that gets it. So actually, I think there's a vagueness element that's quite appealing here. Actually, that's uh, cause a it's point. a bit of a catch-all.
2: Yeah, Dave, there is the implication of distance here. Smelling is, you're not right there, but you've got a chance tasting it means you are right there if you can touch it and or I don't know put one hand on a trophy for example that's really fucking close but if you can just see it that's rubbish everyone can
3: see it so the only other one we haven't mentioned is is hearing right mm. yeah it doesn't come into the equation does it you can hear alarm bells good or I'm sure I've heard like
1: oh they can almost hear the Champions League anthem like they're that, <laughs> they're that oh, like, they on. can hear it that's they a can literal thing it. well it's a semi literal thing coming out <laughs>
3: Fine. What's that? I are can we... hear it on the wind. there, just yeah. the <laughs> wafting across. You can
1: almost hear it. They can so hear so clo- it in ah, September. So Ultra. close
2: now. They can hear that title, can't they? Hear that. Hear that silverware
3: being put down. You can't smell the anthem. No, but yeah, smell very much. Where would you say hear alarm bells? Because would you say? Because you say alarm bells are ringing. Wouldn't necessarily say that. Point out the fact that they can hear alarm bells. It's implied. Yeah. I don't know
1: if you would. I don't know if you would hear that. The alarm bells or someone saying about alarm bells. <laughs> you can reach out and hear the alarm bells.
2: <laughs> no,
1: no. Um,
2: Follow up point from Ashima Guinness. This is a report from the Asian Champions League. Cristiano Ronaldo getting his first goal in the competition. It says the Portuguese forward showed he still had a nose for goal with the strike in the Asian continental competition. Cristiano Ronaldo and his eye for goal are still as alive as ever. I put it to you, Charlie that an eye for goal and a nose for goal are subtly different things. I think a nose for goal is more kind of poachy striker behaviour. You sniff out chances.
1: chances. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's got an eye for goal. You'd normally hear that about a midfielder who does a lot of things. He's got an eye for goal as well. You know, seven already this season. That's more... uh, it's a nice little bonus a bit of a garnish on their game but it I don't also, think it's their main thing it also
2: implies that they're, they're, that there's a willingness to shoot like that they, they, they their eyes are open to the opportunity of scoring a goal uh, as well as as well as identifying those chances when they arrive so but sniffing out chances isn't a willingness it's a it's a it's a knack
3: i mean and i suppose mm. you could possibly do it with your eyes closed It's that close Ooh. Yeah, if you can't hear a chance, he's got a good ear for a chance. You can't taste a chance. <laughs> oh, no, because he's got a taste on, for it. Involved. He
2: can get. Oh, he's, he's got a taste for it now, hasn't he? Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah that works. Yeah. Goal scoring touch has left him. He's got a t- an eye for the spectacular as well. Uh...
2: Everything he touches turns to goals. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely stuff. Right, the uh, Totally Football Show released their latest episode on Monday morning. Uh, the title of which was Liverpool and Arsenal capitalise. On City's rare slip-up, Ryan says, "Dave, can you capitalise on a result that hasn't happened yet by the time you play? Or if you're looking at it as the weekend as a
3: whole, can it can it be used?" It's sort of a bit. It's kind of a bit of a post-rationalisation, isn't it? But it kind of ultimately that's what happened.
1: Yeah, no, I think as well because you're viewing it in the round by this time. it You know, it's a couple of days after, and I do and I do think you might hear the opposite as well, being like, "The only time City slip up, we don't capitalise. I think you would say that whether you've let, whether your games come before or after it. I think it's more just taking it as a whole, as a as a match day.
2: This is I say this is the match week mentality, isn't it? It's just like you know, if the, if the if the state of the Premier League has changed, that's it. You can you can basically ascribe any behaviour whatsoever. Fine, okay. Joseph Martinica next, Charlie. Arsenal fans at Turf Moor were chanting, "Are you West Ham in disguise?" Considering the similarity in the Burnley and West Ham kits, could there be some actual confusion? It'd be a terrible disguise, wouldn't
1: it? Yeah, really bad disguise. The the worst
2: kind. It's hiding in plain sight, I suppose. (laughs) Dave, I was going to ask if there was was some irony involved in here in the colours, but this is simply off the back of Arsenal spanking West Ham as well, presumably.
3: Yeah, which sort of begs the question, would this definitely have been sung about Burnley if they didn't play in the same colours as West Ham? Would they have... Would the, would the Arsenal fans have gone for some other disparaging chant? It's hard to know what the overriding element is here. It makes it feel better. It's, it's sort of neater. Yeah, It's a, yeah. It's a better chant as yeah. a result of it. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. If they got uh, Villa next, have they got Villa next week? Hope so. <laughs> if only. I mean, hastily arrange a fixture with the Scunthorpe midweek just to keep the streak alive. <laughs> <Yeah>. on Sport. <laughs> Generally, that chant is just used as a way of like
1: baiting your main rival, isn't it? So you know, I think the go to there would be Are you Tottenham in disguise or something or. I don't know, what would you would Dave, would you would Watford say, Are you looting in disguise? Would that still be a thing? Yeah, potentially. Yeah.
2: Yeah, if their fortunes were reversed, let's say. Right, next one comes from James McAvoy. He says this is an open and shut case for the adjudication panel. This is Paul Robinson on five live COCOMs duty talking about a save from Brighton's Bart Verbruggen.
3: It was McAtee who had really good possession. He put Bogle in on an angle on the goalkeeper, about 12 yards out, hits the shot across Verbruggen,
1: who actually does really, really well. He doesn't put a full hand on the ball. He puts a half a hand on the ball to deflect the ball out of the danger area. So if he puts a full hand on it, he puts it into danger and there's an opportunity for a rebound. It's a really good, well-worked save by the goalkeeper.
2: Never ever heard it before, Charlie, but I quite like the concept of a well-worked save.
1: Yeah, I think it's good He's because he's talking about He's going into quite granular detail, yep. and so it suggests, well-worked, that this is something that's worked on and that he's crafted this type of save quite, quite deliberately.
2: How oh, interesting you interpret it as something that has been cultivated on the training ground, whereas Dave, I interpret it as something that was, that, that was put together really well in the moment, as in a
3: well-worked move. So is that what you think well-worked move means? <laughs>
2: oh, God! <laughs> Have I been living another lie? A a well-worked
3: move. It is.
2: It's it's constructed in the moment, not something that's been drilled into them over the last few months. Surely,
1: surely. Typically, yes, it is in the moment, but there can still be a feeling that that's something that they've worked hard on. That's a really well... well, If you say that's a really well-worked move, I think there's often an assumption that, oh, okay, so a, a level of effort has gone into this... In training, it looks sort of choreographed.
2: I think we've got ourselves into a rhythm now where people are just going to agree with you regardless of whether they think it's true or not. Well, Uh, This is the
3: annoying situation we found ourselves in. Well, I think that sort of both things are true. I don't think that you necessarily will have had people, co-commentators... Saying that a well-worked move is evidence of work on the training ground. It is used to describe nice passages of play that happen in the moment. But in actual fact, that probably is just as much evidence of training ground effort as a set piece is. No issue with that whatsoever.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. And I think there'll be an assumption from people, certain people watching that, oh yeah, that's where that's come from.
2: Right. Paul Stokes has got in touch with us, Dave, and says, what's the threshold for a ground being a stone's throw from a famous landmark? TNT Sports were suggesting that Brentford is the said distance from BBC Television Centre, which feels a stretch. It's four miles and three other football grounds are closer as well. We need guidelines for a stone's throw should you be able to see the stadium. (laughs) Let's let's park that technical matter for a moment. What kind of distance are we talking?
3: Um, If you can throw a stone out of the ground and it lands in a river, then I think you can say that the stadium is a stone's throw from the Trent or the Thames or whatever it might be I think you have to I think there has to be a some literal element to it you have to be, you have to be able to foresee somebody being able to throw a stone that distance even allowing for poetic license Charlie um, let me give you some data actually the
2: longest throw of an object without any velocity aiding feature
1: is 427.2 meters what was that
2: quarter of a mile?
1: Yeah about that. See, I, I think if you're, I, I think what makes that acceptable is if you're within, I don't know, five to ten minutes walk, if you could feasibly, if it's feasible that you could very happily just pass it on your way to the stadium or tack it on as like, oh, if you go a few minutes that way, you can see this statue or whatever. I think that's close enough to be described as a stone throw, even if it's. Not literally a stone's throw. We
2: should away. have consulted some lettings agents here, shouldn't we, Dave? They're the experts
3: in this <laughs> <Yeah>. stone's <laughs> throw from local amenities. There are a lot of new flats around Brentford's, uh, around the Gtech Stadium as well. Stone's throw from Television Centre. They've done it up lovely these days. Also, Sky are closer to Brentford than the BBC. But they're not allowed to mention them. In Osterly. Yeah. <laughs> TNT can't mention Sky, but BBC, that's fine. Well, to your point, Charlie, you... You can walk past Television Centre to get to Loftus Road. And the distance between Loftus Road and the old Television Centre is 1,584 feet, which is only a shade above the aforementioned... 427 It's uh, not much meters. in that at all so 1,401 so feet is yeah the, that's the uh, equivalent so it's only just above a potential fine. a potential record breaking stones throw <laughs> 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 or, or something throw anyway
2: any stadium surrounded by housing you definitely live a stones throw away even if you're three or four blocks away three or four roads away like from Goodison yeah. or something. that's a stones throw
1: exactly, Goodison, exactly. I was going to say Goodison they, they're all a stones throw absolutely right let's
2: cast our net a little bit wider a little European roundup for you first one comes from um, Jude Horsball who was reading the BBC report of uh, Monza 4 AC Milan 2 which kicks off with seven time European champions AC Milan were shocked by Minos Monza as the host scored twice in a frantic finish Jude Horsball asks Charlie can you be described as Minos if you play in the same league I won't accept Minos in the same division or even in a top I guess, flight
1: at all I guess though it's being written for a different audience so it's heads like the seven-time European same-
2: champions, which is feels like a bit of a insane way to kick things off.
1: Exactly, but that's because I guess because you're the assumption is you're quite casual, your level of interest, and most people reading it aren't from that country. So it's almost like you're talking about a you are talking about a European team to most readers. Mm. So it's almost like the context is not them in Syria. The context is how most people reading it are going to view them, which is as kind of minnows in the grand scheme Mm. of things.
2: A very rational and um, indeed kind way of describing it. Um, Dave, we had this issue last week about whether you can have giant killing in the Champions League. I don't think I would accept minnows in domestic football.
3: Yeah, I got pulled up on Twitter uh, by a few people for that, which is fine. I accept that. This is similar. It is similar. Uh, Monza finished 11th in Serie A last season. The capacity of their stadium is nearly 17,000. Well they were owned by Berlusconi, weren't they, Monza? Balotelli played for them a few years ago. Yeah, so yeah, I think you know what they're getting at, but yeah, Minos really Minnows should be like somebody from regional Syria D or something. Yeah, but I but I wouldn't mind, or I would understand if a foreign broadcaster came over
1: to do the Luton against Manchester United game, and for their audience, they were kind of saying, "Here we are." We're we're at this club, you know, minnows of of the English Premier League or of English football up against the great Manchester United. Like I would I would see that as a sort of acceptable form of storytelling, even if it to us seems strange or disrespectful because Luton have
3: won a major trophy in living memory. they have got a,
1: they've got a tiny ground. They've never been they'd never been in the Premier League until this season. Most people outside of the UK they might not even have heard of them
3: like I, I can sort of see. Yeah, we should dumb down, down the coverage though. I was going to say educate Jesus the Christ. Audience.
2: What is this podcast for? Right. Next question far too niche for us I fear. Trekwatist asks Charlie what is it about Braga always playing at twenty forty five on a Sunday and drawing 1-1 don't know mate <laughs> but I trust the observation
1: yeah I, I, li- I like that as an observation I want to say that I agree with it so I will yeah it's
2: Spot the on. it's the football cliche's correspondence equivalent Dave of Casemiro's um, appeal with the referee the other day I just believe it I don't agree with it because I have no evidence to back it up, but I know you can just sense the passion in it. Take your word for it, mate. Must be a good observation. No doubt industry man Charlie Eccleshire will defend this as well, but uh, this is from um, the Guardian's European Weekend Review. Supplied by Reuters. Good old Reuters. Unsung heroes, aren't they, Reuters? This passage goes as follows. Marcus Urente and Angel Correa. Both scored twice to help a depleted Atletico Madrid thrash visitors Las Palmas. 5-0 in La Liga on Saturday, as Diego Simeone rested key players before a midweek Champions League last-16 tie into Milan. Callum Martin asks Charlie, can you choose to deplete
1: your own team? No, deplete, that's resting. If you've rested a lot of players, which it sounds like that's what that is, yeah, that's that's not the same as being depleted. <laughs> no, you can't yeah, deplete you, you've yourself. Yeah, you brought that on yourself. <laughs>
2: Decimated. He's decimated his own team.
1: <laughs> his uh, ravaged team. Like, yeah, ravaged his own team. You've ravaged it. Oh dear.
2: Selection ravaged. That's how it's going to yeah, Exactly. <laughs> good. Glad you're on board with that one at least. But it's good to have all our ducks in a row as we head into Keys and Grey Corner. Sunday Really only one place For a start here Charlie For It is the photo taken At an awkward angle in the B in studios Of the week Richard Keys noting Conor Gallagher's Genuinely absurd socks And this is what he tweeted with this little photo Enough of this nonsense There's no need for it The Spanish have outlawed it Although Bellingham gets away with it It's time we did <laughs> outlawed it (laughs) this feels like a near parody this feels like Bates yeah what's the next thing Keezy could get his teeth into it's the
1: closest he's come to I think or maybe throw in coaches that felt like a move designed to wind him up and sure enough he was wound up
2: let's check if his blog's up shall we Oh, yes. Checked his blog. Gallagher's the headline act on the blog this week. <laughs> the headline of his blog published me a minute ago. Smarten up, Gallagher. <laughs> oh, he's so in on this. It's quite annoying. Here's the intro. Well, sockgate got quite a bit of traction. <laughs> and it turns out the majority are with me (laughs) (laughs) oh dear
1: Um, I spoke to a top person (laughs) in the game they applauded me for finally having the courage to call it out
2: uh, he parks that straight away launches straight back into VAR and Howard Webb for a good few paragraphs Um, loads of stuff about the Newcastle goal which I haven't watched stuff about being in sports being in the know when it comes to VAR decisions in the match day centre more Howard Webb uh, more referee chat. Moyes at West Ham, of course. And this is oh, so perfect. What what phrase do you think he signs off with when finishing his take on David Moyes and the respect he deserves at West Ham, Charlie? Be careful what you wish for. Yeah! Yes! Get in! He's so be careful what you wish for. He is the ultimate be careful what you wish for correspondent, isn't he? It's
1: so good. I'm so glad you got it. The perfect harmony of... Key's being the perfect person to say that, but also Moy's the perfect, the perfect object for that uh, for that description on
2: that Dave David Moy's basically indulging in mm. be careful what you wish forness mm. in it for himself yeah which was so good he's
3: clearly at the end of his tether with David Moy's discourse so so Moy's sort of responding to fan unrest in the wake of obviously some bad results and he said maybe they've had managers who excite them more possibly but the one who's sitting here wins more in a very hey. keysian flourish at the yeah. end
2: there's no hint of arrogance there is there charlie it's just kind of like be careful what you wish for
3: <laughs> yeah should have just refer them to
2: Kesey's blog maybe people should say that about themselves more anyway back to sock gate as Kesey's calling it is it a gate i don't think it is i'm right i know i am the level of support i've had tells me i am the level of support <laughs> 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 the backing he's had from people in the industry <laughs> for fucking socks Oh, this is tremendous.
1: Uh, Has he said what his issue is? doesn't matter. With it.
2: <laughs> I asked a top medic today. Why guess oh, yeah, that like said top a top person. Medic. Why players cut holes in the back of their socks? He confirmed what I'd previously been told. Apparently, some believe the socks are too tight and they stop the flow of blood to the calf. Bollocks. They don't wear anything on their heads, do they? But clearly the flow of blood is restricted to that area for some of these young men. <laughs> It's got to stop. (laughs) (laughs) This is like Mossy's boots. This weekend, Conor Gallagher resembled the poor lad who plays on Hackney Marshes every week that can't afford kit. You're a professional man. Look professional. You don't see Messi or Ronaldo going around looking like they can't afford socks, do you? (laughs) <laughs> perhaps Gallagher believes that players shouldn't wear socks at all <laughs> <laughs> oh no this is the this is the final paragraph of the blog Gallagher will be at Wembley this weekend the spiritual home of Bobby Moore the greatest England captain ever to have played the game Bob never once looked anything but immaculate and a football pitch. I hope Gallagher understands that. Like it or not, he's a role model <laughs> <laughs> who youngsters emulate, and he could learn from Moore's example. I get it that times and fashions change. There's nothing wrong with that, but this trend is a nonsense. Smarten up, man!
1: <laughs> oh my god! So, so it's a it's a sartorial issue that he has. Above all standards,
3: it seems standards issue. Just general standards. The they are oh. the holes in Gallagher's socks are particularly large. It ludicrous. Does, it does seem that this trend, as is inevitable with any such sort of fad, it will reach a point where, at some point, there's going to be like somebody's socks will probably just the, the bit that's holding them together will snap or something, and they'll be left. They have to change their socks mid-game.
2: It's just
3: perfect. What an extraordinary
2: <laughs> hell! He is in on it, Charlie. He he has to be. This is this is this is he too defi- far.
3: Well,
1: he must he must be aware that it's sort of the more he does this, the more people enjoy it, and the more people read his blog and his tweets and stuff like that. I'm sure he he does genu- it does genuinely irritate him. I'm sure like that that will come from a genuine place. Yeah. I think now yeah. sort of sort of going this doubling down on it to this extent. And you know, is, Andy Gray's not along. On it. Probably in semi yeah, exactly. as well. Yeah. Exactly. Well, but yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Um, Richard, I mean, thank, thank you for publishing this. The only this. thing. <laughs> Mini Shim pads. Has he has he broken his silence on them? Because I feel those were driving him crazy yes, as well.
2: Yes, definitely, definitely. That could be next. Um, finally, here's Richard Keys on Sheffield United. Great opening. I know the facts
3: tell me that Derby County were the worst ever when they were relegated <laughs> with <the> 11 <laughs> points, but I'm going to put it to you that we have just watched the worst ever, ever. Premier League team. Ever. Are you including? Ever. Swindon I think in they that? are hopeless Swindon. That's the fifth time this Ooh. season they've conceded Three five goals minutes. or more.
2: They're awful. <laughs> <laughs> more broadcasting like this, just telling it like it is. But what a tremendous opening, Charlie! No cheesy sentence that opens with those words is going to be shit.
1: Yeah, amazing. It's also a great bit that you, you can't uh, hear, but you can see. You can reach out and touch of Mcateer. Looking over at Grey and, and like acknowledging The Swindon shout yeah. So sort of like Oh yeah good one And and does a gesture As if say like Yeah go again with that Go again See if you have See if you have traction The third time it's
2: great <laughs> chemistry Between the three of them Quite frankly As there is Between the three of us uh, Happy 200th episode Charlie Thank you Well done to you Dave Walker Thank you Thanks to everyone for listening We'll be back on Thursday See ya